Good morning, everybody. Uh, when I came here seven years ago, um, one of the first ministries that we identified that we wanted to support locally was a ministry by the name of Foothill Pregnancy Resource Center. And uh, this is an absolutely incredible ministry located over in Duarte. It's a crisis pregnancy center. And, um, and, and we, have, we have been supporting them as a congregation through all kinds of means. I'll let somebody else talk about that. But uh, we, uh, it, it's one of the things that are, is dear to my heart, dear to our heart as a church. And I want you to know when you give uh, part of your missions giving, this is what it goes to. And so today uh, is Sanctity of Life Sunday. Many of you don't know that. And, uh, and I've asked if Lori Berg, who's the executive director, would come and share with us uh, what's happening and, and what's going on at Foothill Pregnancy Resource Center. So Foothill Church, let's welcome Lori. We're so glad that you're here. Yeah. Here, I'm have you okay, here you go. <laughs> He's my prop holder. <laughs> Thank you, Foothill Church family, for the way you love on us. Thank you for your faithful giving to missions. Missions may be thousands upon thousands of miles away from our doorstep, or it may be a local missions that's as close as the end of our driveway. And that's probably what we are to you at Foothills Pregnancy Resource Center. And as your pastor just shared with, her, with you all, you give to us in so many, many ways. We've been a part of the prayer chain and the circles that that Pastor Chris spoke of, your missionals giving, you are a monthly financial partner, and we simply cannot be there without our faithful monthly partners, of which you are one. Just this past Christmas, I'm going to try to fan out the cards here because we received them in multiplicity from one of the growth groups here at Foothill Church who took us the staff of Foothills Pregnancy Resource Center. We were all crying and hugging the day they came. Be that doesn't happen. And I'm not saying we don't do ministry so that we get loved on, if that's the reason we're in ministry. Oh, we better rethink that one. But when a church like you reaches out and does that at this holiday time uh, with your abounding gifts and love, that was just precious. So thank you, thank you. Your CD sales... Um, my goodness, you've been guests at our annual galas. The list goes on and on and on at how you have all partnered with us. So let me briefly explain what your partnering looks like up front and up close and personal and all of that stuff. How do you help us do what we do hands-on? We are a state-licensed medical clinic whereby individuals and or families, a married couple can face an unplanned pregnancy just like a single can. They come to us where I have medical staff. I have a nurse on staff who administers the pregnancy test. She then takes them through the limited obstetric ultrasound. That is a life changer right there. When she sees on the 3 and 4D and hears the ultrasound and their reaction is, oh, that's a life. That's a baby. Um, we do the options counseling, all of that that is a part of their medical diagnosis of pregnancy and or not. We, we talk about sexual purity, sexual integrity. We call it recycled virginity. Um, and we do educational and empowering programs and presentations all over Great LA about that kind of stuff. We have monthly parenting classes, mentorships for the guys. We're one of the few pregnancy centers that I've ever heard of, not in just the state of California, but one of the few pregnancy centers that really engages the men. Hello, pregnancy takes a guy, right? 
and we engage the guys. Uh, we call our clients, and this is a loving term, we call our clients cyclones with legs and shoes. When they come in the door, a lot of times they are just fraught with their situation. They are doing this alone. There is no one there. And maybe that's what they've been told. We begin to support and build that team around them. So indeed, not us alone, but certainly we begin to engage God into their team. Uh, and they, they leave our center knowing that they are not alone. We provide supplies and donations. You guys, sometimes when our cupboards have been bare, Foothill Church has supplied the much-needed diapers and wipes and all of the stuff that goes along that. A family and an individual can come to us for diapers and all of the stuff, food, clothing, furniture, whatever we've got in our, in our cabinets and closets go out to them. And last and certainly not least, we are the only organizations that administer hope and healing after an abortion. And we hear from the men as much as we hear from the women. Where do I put this? And I'm, and I'm living proof. It, God needs and uses all of us in ministry. I found Foothills Pregnancy Resource seven years ago as a client myself. I came in for much needed recycled hope into my life when I was ready to talk. I'd found a safe place in Foothills Pregnancy Resource Center and I was ready to process and work only with the Lord's help and some precious, precious trained staff. Now, we do work on the local level. We have a pamper day coming up, um, and I, I'm out there at a table, and I can give you lots more info about that. It's the Saturday before Valentine's Day where we get to love on our gals and uh, manicures and facials and makeup and haircuts, and, and, and it's a hands-on expression. It may sound frivolous and and kind of silly in an overall scheme of things, but we get to love on our gals and do what we say we're doing. And we also, as little and itty-bitty as Foothills Pregnancy Resource Center is, we are involved in a global scale as well. I have just recently been asked to be part of a special task force that will be going to the World Cup Games in Sao Paulo, Brazil, to do some covert sex trafficking work. And talk to some local folks, a Portuguese church in Sao Paulo that's interested in opening a pregnancy resource center. Thank you, Jesus. And thank you, Foothill Church. God bless you all. <laughs> uh, so Lori will be out. There's a, there's a table set up out in the, in the lobby out there, and we'd love for you to go and stop by there. And if you want to be part of that pampering day, she actually has a sign-up sheet that you can, you can sign up on and, and go and, and minister to those ladies. And um, I'd love for you to do that. This is just such an awesome, awesome ministry. She was reminding me yesterday that uh, when I, I think when I came, there was, they were the only uh, crisis pregnancy center in our area. I think there's one now in Claremont and, and one, but apparently one just closed down in Covina. There's one in Pomona, but this is, this is so awesome that, that uh, ministries like, like uh, Foothill and, and uh, ministries and, and people like, like Lori are, are spearheading this and, and making it possible so that, you know, people, part she didn't tell you is, you know, some of these, they're able to share the gospel with them. Some of these, uh, some of these clients get saved and, and have real hope. Uh, as a result of that. And so uh, we just praise God for you, and, and it's just a, a privilege for us to partner with you, Lori. So thank you. Thank you so much. 
All right, well, let's, uh, let's grab our Bibles, and I want to start out in 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1, and go down to verse 12. This is one of the most encouraging passages in all of Scripture, and I just want to start here and lay a foundation. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1 and verse 12, and, and this is Paul writing, and, and let me just uh, read this verse to you. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. Because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Now, let me stop there just for a second, just to say this. This is the Apostle Paul writing, the Apostle Paul. This is the man who's probably one of the most brilliant intellects to ever live. He was was probably the the greatest missionary that's ever walked the earth. He he wrote most of your New Testament. I mean, we could go on and on about how great Paul was. And and maybe you read things like this and we'll say, "Of of course, Jesus judged Paul faithful and appointed him to service. I mean, look at his qualifications. The guy was amazing. And this is where some of you maybe struggle with Christianity as you go, you know what the thing is, is that you guys are all goody two-shoes, you all are moral, you all have, you know, you, you sort of are all qualified and, and good people and that's why, that's why you're Christian and, and that could not be farther from the truth because let's keep reading uh, about Paul. Verse 13, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. Paul is summarizing his life there and he's essentially saying this, I have a passion. And I dare say that if you get into the history of Paul and look at the book of Acts and elsewhere, you're going to discover his past is way, way worse than anybody I know in this room. That, that he was an opponent, he was a blasphemer, he hated Jesus, he hated Christians, he persecuted Christians, and, and he says, that's me, I've got this past, that's the one that Christ came to, that's what qualified me, if you will, to be a servant of Christ. But then you keep reading as we go in verse 13, and look what he says, but, one of the greatest words in all of scripture, the word but, because it changes everything, I received mercy I received mercy. This is amazing. Like, because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of the Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Paul's saying, believe me when I tell you this. This is just, this is absolutely true. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul is just, he is just blown away by what Jesus did for him. He saved me. (laughs) Me, like me. I received mercy. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. In fact, I was on the warpath to go persecute Christians when Jesus invaded my life and said, I want you. And he says, his grace, like, look, here's Paul. He's just this horrible guy, right? He's killing Christians. I mean, at one point in Acts chapter 7, it says that Paul was standing by holding the cloak of men who were picking up stones and throwing them and stoning Stephen. Why was he holding their cloaks? He wasn't just being a coat rack. He was saying, let me hold that, buddy, so you can throw harder. Really give it to him. Stoning. This is Paul. And he says, me, and I received mercy. I didn't deserve this. And, 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 and you think, well, you know, God could have just gone, you know, Paul, you're a jerk. You're an idiot. I'm really pissed off at you. So I'm going I'm to give you a little spoonful of my grace. You know, okay, I'll, 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 no. His grace overflowed. This is unbelievable. His grace overflowed to me 
in the love and the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And look at verse 16. He says, but I received mercy, right? I, I'm the foremost of sinner, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, the foremost of sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. In other words, he says, he did this for me, so no one who ever knew my story could say, my sin is too deep. I'm too far gone. Christ can't save me. Paul said, look at me. Look at me. So listen, here's what he's saying. There is no sin that is more powerful than the cross. He's saying, you do not have the ability to out-sin the grace of God. That ought to be a warm blanket to you tonight, today. To realize you, you, you just simply cannot, you do not have the ability to out-sin the grace of God. Where sin flows, Paul says, I was steeped in sin. I was killing people. And the grace of God overflowed to me. Now, I want to start there. Because truthfully, I have to say some hard things this morning. And I, do, I've, I've, uh, I, I don't love preaching this sermon. But I want that to be the bedrock underneath your feet right now. I want you to sort of feel just the weight of that, the glory of that, that Jesus Christ forgives the worst of sins. And maybe in your mind, you've done that. You've been the worst of sinner, and Paul says, so was I. And his grace overflowed to me. So let that just sort of be in the background. And I don't want to move very far away from that. I want to stay very close to this truth today as we kind of dive into some things that are, that are a little heavier, Okay. All right, so I have two dogs. This is not the heavy part. Um, <laughs> Fontaine and Ruby, those are their names. Um, they're fun. I like dogs. I do. I, I like playing with my dogs. I like getting on the ground, and you know, I got bites on my hand because where my dogs bite me, and I, I, I don't know why. I, I just love, they're, they're fun. They're fun, right? They're, they're, they're interesting, and they make me laugh and, and all that. Now, I, I like my dogs. I, some, of you, some of you love your dogs, your animals, right? I mean, uh, you, they eat better than you. They eat at the table, right? They, you get them only organic, locally grown, whatever. And, and uh, that's how your dogs, I mean, they're, they're precious in Southern California, especially. I mean, there's this, this phenomenon, quite frankly, I don't get. The, the walking of the dog in a baby carriage. I, I, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't understand that. I don't know what's happening. If I've offended anybody, I'm sorry. This is just that seems to me like, what, what is happening right now? Why is that dog in the carriage? It's walking you, right? You're out for a walk and the dog gets like, hey, this is great. And bath for this, could you give me a back rub? I mean, it's just, it's crazy, right? Some of you love your dogs. Now, here's what I'll tell you about animals. And here's what I'll tell you. I used to have horses when I was a kid. Love those. I'm, I'm, I like animals. Okay, I really do. I think animals are beautiful. I think they're majestic. I think they're amazing. Uh, but if I had to choose uh, between any of my dogs and any of my children, guess what? You're probably like, we know. You'd choose your child. I would. If I had to choose between any of my dogs and any of your children or you, I would choose you. I would choose the dog. Why? Why do I say that? Um, well, because human beings and animals are not equal. There is not an animal on planet Earth 
that is more valuable than the least human being. Okay, so, so you got to get this. <laughs> not one. Now, I'm not saying animals aren't majestic. I mean, you see, I love watching documentaries, and I love seeing the tigers, and I love seeing the gorillas, and they're incredible. I mean, I, I really do. I'm like, I'm like a nerd when it comes to those things. I love watching them. But I would not save one of them over saving a human being. And you say, well, that's, that's just you. No, that's not just me. Because the truth of the matter is, it has nothing to do with how I feel. Like, you know, I just, I just don't like animals as much as I like human beings. The fact of the matter is, I, there's some animals I like more than some of you. Okay, so I, I mean, there's, there's the, but, 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 but why do I say it? Where does that come from? That's not just my opinion. That's just not something I just pulled out of thin air and go, you know, I think that's a better way to think about things. That's God. And so, so, so take your Bible and let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. All the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and look at verse 26. I want to show you something. God talks about mankind in totally unique terms. So when he says, you know, Genesis chapter 1 starts at in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness covered the face of the earth and the spirit of God hovered over the waters and God said, let there be light and there was light, right? And then he separates the light from the dark and he calls one night and calls one day and he creates the, he creates the land and he, creates, he separates it from the sea and then he fills the sea with swimming creatures and he fills the sea with plant life and he comes to land and he fills the land with plant life, fills it with creatures. He gets all done. He does all of this, gets it all prepared, and says, now, ready? Let's do this. I've got it all ready. I'm ready for the pinnacle. Now watch, listen. He doesn't talk about any other being in the world like he's about to talk about a human being. Look at this. He says, verse 26, and then God said, let us make man us. Let's, 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 let's take this Trinitarian Godhead. Let's us get involved. Let's get our hands dirty. Make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over everything I just created. They get to have dominion. They get to, have, they get to rule over it all. They don't get to be abusive. It has nothing to do with you know, creation care. We believe in that. And look at verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Do you, do you, do you get the picture? Like, do you hear what God said over and over? Man and man, I'm talking humankind, alone is created in the image of God. There is no other part of his creation that can claim that. Now, to be created in the image of God there's a lot we could say about this. Means at the very minimum, I'm not a tiger. I'm not a blue whale. I'm a man, right? I'm, 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 you're a woman. We're, 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 we're distinct in, in that way. We're not creatures of instinct. We have, we, we, we talk about morals. We understand spiritual things. We, we, are, we have a nature that is spiritual and ethical and moral. And we can talk about all these attributes that reflect our image. This is the, what we call the imago Dei, that mankind is made in the image of God. So, so what this means is there are things that we as human beings uh, struggle with wrestle with whatever you want to say that the rest of creation does not even consider okay like like i'm quite certain sharks don't go 
and rip a sad-eyed, crying baby seal apart. And then a couple of days later, go gather with their friends and say, I feel so bad. You'll never want to believe what I did. I did it again. I keep doing it. What is wrong with me? Okay, that happens in Nemo. That doesn't happen in real life, right? (laughs) There's no regrets. Like Fontaine and Ruby, they sit at home. You know, they they, they don't hey, hey, Fontaine. What do you think is going to happen when we die? Well, I don't know, Ruby. haven't really thought about that. That's a great thought. Hey, Fontaine, why are all the bees dying? Maybe we could get another dog. Maybe we could sort of investigate and try to find out. I'm worried about, when am I going to get married? You think a guy, dog will ever like me? Right, right. They, they don't. This is not how they go about things. But we do. We worry. We have regrets. Like we, we, we wrestle with problems. Like, you know, my dad abandoned me. There was things that happened to me, and I am the way I am because of things in my childhood. I have all these things going on, right? I'm wondering. I want to understand my world. I do want to know why are bees dying. Why do volcanoes do that? Animals don't do that. Whales aren't swimming through the ocean going, these, these human beings, boy, poor things. Let's all get together and gather money for them and save the, the, human, the human planet, right? No. So one of the fundamental things you have to understand is that we are utterly unique in all of creation. Only mankind bears the image of God. Now, this week, a couple things are happening. Tomorrow, uh, in America, many of you have the day off, and you have the day off because... We celebrate Martin Luther King, right? The, the embodiment of the civil rights movement. And we look at this man who stood against the tide and we rightfully honor him. And then on Wednesday, lots fewer people will remember that it's the 41st anniversary of a landmark culture-shifting, changing decision handed down by our Supreme Court in 1973 called Roe v. Wade. Where with that and another case called uh, Doe, it gives a woman a completely unfettered right to abort a child for any reason at any time during her pregnancy. So that since 1973, somewhere between 50 and 55 million babies have been aborted in America. I was talking to Lori last night. She said, Chris, let me tell you something about that statistic. She said, That's, that number doesn't include people who paid cash for an abortion. I don't know what we're talking about. 60, 70, I don't know. Something astonishing since 1973. So I want to I go to the Bible and I want to ask just kind of some fundamental questions, really one major fundamental question and then kind of seek to apply that and see what does this all mean for us, okay? And listen, if we're anything, we're people of the word of God. 
If we, are, if we call ourselves Christian, then our Bible ought to be in our hand, and we ought to be saying, does the Bible have anything to say about the big issues of our day? Does it? And do I want to adopt the culture's understanding, or do I want to sit here and go, no, I'm going to submit to the Word of God, okay? And so I want to, I want to ask just a very fundamental question to start off with. Where, when does life begin? When does it begin? Now, there's a lot of places I could take you, but let me, let me show you a couple. First of all, go with me to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, right in the middle of your Bible. And, uh, and I want you to go to verse uh, 13. <clears throat> Just going to read. This is a great psalm, one of my favorites in all of Scripture. And listen to what David writes. Okay, for you formed me, formed my inward parts, you knit, he's talking to God, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. In other words, from the very beginning of sperm and egg meeting, right? God is in the business of knitting together this little life inside of a mother's womb. That work inside of her is the work of God. God is actively at work. He's getting his hands on the process, the fine details of, of, of bringing a baby into the world. Now, my wife is a knitter. Anybody a knitter? Somebody willing to admit it? Oh, so, oh, somebody I got this thing. like, me? Okay. Because <laughs> knitters are interesting people. My wife, I, you know, I love her, right? But she's, she really likes knitting. Like, like it's this therapeutic, you know, clickety, clackety, clickety, clackety. And she sits in the front row sometimes and, and is knitting in church, right? She just loves, she'll sit, she, we're in Disneyland, lying at Disneyland. She brings her knitting. <laughs> just like, what? Right? And here's what I know about knitters. Uh, knitters don't just start knitting. Right? They don't, you know, click, 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 what are you doing? I have no idea. Just, I'm just knitting, right? No, they go, no, I have an idea. I know what I want to do. I know what I'm trying to create. So my wife's really good at squares and rectangles. So she, she's, she hasn't quite gotten to the circle thing, but she's, she's getting there. And so she, she's really good at, I'm going to make a scarf. I'm going to make a placemat. I'm going to make a blanket. I'm going to make whatever. So, so she goes after that, and she knows exactly what she wants. She knows what it's going to look like, all that. And just so the rest of you know out there, do you know there's a whole world of knitting? There are stores, like whole entire stores dedicated to knitting. <laughs> and I've been to some of them. Like, I've walked in with my wife. She's like, oh, and it's like this, for her. And I'm like, what is going on here, right? And she walks in and, and she's like, oh, Chris, come here. Look at this. Look at this. Feel this. Oh, feel, do you feel that? I'm like, I, I do. What, what, you know, and yeah. And, she, and she'll rub it against her face, you know, and it's just all of it. And she loves it, right? And she gets it and she just loves to then take that, buy those skeins of yarn, you know, wrap in a ball and just go after it, right? She's, she's just so into this. There's this thing about knitting that is so wonderful to her. And God, Psalm 139 says he's a knitter. And he gets his hands, right? I want to, oh yeah, I love how that feels. And I want... I want black hair, or I want this color skin, or I want those color eyes, or, you know, he's going to be this tall. You know, I'm going to make Chris, he's going to be this lanky guy, right? He's never going to have any muscles on his body and whatever, right? So, so I'm, and, I, and I love, I love just knitting all this together. 
That is God's doing. Please notice how he says this in verse 13. That that you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Not, Not God, you ordained this process of sperm meeting egg and then you were hands off and what happens in there is the mother's doing. It's not the mother's doing. This is God at work in her. This is a supernatural activity, if you will, that is undergoing inside of the womb of a mother. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 1. So here's the story in Luke. Many of you know the story. Gabriel comes and he visits Mary. Mary, you're going to have a child conceived by the Holy Spirit, and here's what's going to happen. And in the process, he tells her, and by the way, your relative, Elizabeth, uh, is going to have a child as well. And so, so Mary, after she finally understands what's going on, um, she decides to run and see Elizabeth. Go stay with her. So let's back up to verse 39 and look what it says. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, now watch this, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, first thing I want you to notice here, that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which is we believe how scripture was written, Luke sits down, puts pen to paper, and he writes that the baby, the baby leaped inside of her. He uses, he does not say the embryo. He does not say the clump of cells. Okay, he identifies that as a baby, and it's a very common word, by the way. In fact, in chapter 2, verse 16, he's going to use it again to describe Jesus, the baby, in a manger. So in God's eyes, a baby inside is a baby, and a baby outside is a baby. They're all the same. And now watch this. This is fascinating. So, so then, then uh, they see each other, and Elizabeth, blessed are you among women. And then look at verse 44. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears... The baby in my womb leaped, look at those last two words, for joy. He leaped for joy. Not, not you know, you scared the crap out of me. A baby just got a spazzed, right? <laughs> no, he leaped and I'm going to assign to him human emotions. This baby had joy when Jesus, this baby and you, came into the room. Now that's amazing. So that in God's eyes, a human being is created inside of a mother's womb, right? When when God looks at that mother's womb, he looks and says, that's a baby made in my image. When egg and sperm meet, the image of God is there. Life begins at the moment of conception. Wait a second, Chris. You didn't show us one verse of Scripture that says life begins at conception. You're right, I didn't. So let me just say it to you this way. If from the moment that egg and that sperm meet by the sovereign design of God, he goes to knitting, you dare not rip out of his hands what he's knitting together. 
You have no right. That's his creation. Now, by the way, saying what I just said, that life begins at conception, does not contradict science. No one disagrees with this. No one. Okay, you, you, you literally have to not have your mental capacities in order not to understand that life Actual life begins, right? There's no dispute scientifically that what is going on from the moment egg and sperm meet is actually a human life. That is not a matter of speculation. That is not philosophy. That is not theology. That is basic biology 101. That what is going on inside of the mother's womb, that embryo, that fetus, belongs inextricably to the species homo sapien. No disputing this. It is a separate living human being. And if given the chance to develop, it will not become a chicken. It won't turn into a reptile. It is inextricably human. So so life begins, the image of God commences... A human being is formed at the moment of conception, not not when it first breathes air outside of its mother. I I don't know anybody who actually would say that. And certainly not in some made-up trimester system that a court in the United States decreed this is when life begins. That is utter nonsense. So on this point, science is our friend. Right? In 1973, when Roe v. Wade was handed down, they didn't have ultrasounds. They certainly didn't have 3D, 4D ultrasounds and technology that literally opened the window on the womb of a, of a mother so that, the, so that you don't hardly ever hear anymore that the, the thing inside of the mother is just a clump of cells. Like, people just don't talk like this anymore, praise God, because they can't. They look in and go, that's not a clump of cells. That is obviously a human being. So that by the time we now know that at about eight weeks old, I mean, you, you can see incredible, miraculous pictures of babies sucking their thumbs, babies that recoil from pinpricks. I mean, eight weeks is before some women even know they're pregnant. They respond to sound. Every major organ is present. The brain is functioning. The heart is pumping blood. The liver is making blood cells. The kidneys are filtering fluids. Those children have fingerprints. And nearly half of all abortions are performed after that. When you hear that, then you're like, wow, I mean, this thing, what God is doing. You know what it ought to make you do? It ought to make you do what David did. It'll make you, uh, first of all, just to make you worship. If you've ever had a baby, like parents will know this, it's, it's just flat out awesome. And the woman's body does things that you're like, how in the world? You know, scoot over lungs, I'm coming in. I mean, just pushing, I mean, the way a, God has wired a woman's body, it's, it's absolutely unbelievable. And it ought to just make, I mean, David didn't have an ultrasound, and David is like, wow, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You are amazing, God, the way you do this. That ought to make us worship. Second thing it ought to do is it ought to make us value 
human beings. I'm not talking about just unborn human beings. I'm talking about any. That we could look at the most mentally handicapped and we could look at them and say they are worth more than any animal on planet earth. We could look at the oldest person. We could look at whoever and say that's a human being. They, are, they have the imago day upon them however marred it is and we value that. But, but the final thing it ought to do, it ought to, it ought to form how, how we view this issue of abortion. Right now, I, I'm, I'm not preaching this sermon because I'm thinking, oh, this is going to make the church grow. Like, seriously, like, we're probably going to shrink. Some of you are going to be like, this is my last Sunday at Foothill. I am not, because you know what? And some of you say, why? Why did why, you leave? Because one day that pastor, he got all political on us. He started talking about abortion. So let me just say something about that, okay? So when you do leave, you understand where I'm coming from. I am the most non-politically motivated pastor that I can think of. Okay, I, I, I have no hope, none in politics. Like, I, I'm part of the Jesus party. I have my president, and I don't want any of the buffoons that come out to replace him every four years, right? He, he's the man. Doesn't mean I don't vote. I'll talk about that in a minute. But, but here, look. But second of all, let me say this. This is not a political issue. Oh, it's been politicized, but politicizing things doesn't make it political. This is a massive social, moral, ethical, deeply, deeply spiritual issue. And we dare not ignore it by just going, it's political. Listen to me. After, how can you call this political? After 41 years, four decades, the human death toll stands at somewhere in the 60 million, and if Lori's right, maybe 70, maybe 80 million human lives. That is greater, think of this, that is greater than the Nazi Holocaust, Stalin's purges, Pol Pot's killing fields, and the Rwandan genocide, all combined, all under our watch, and just in America. One-sixth of the American population has been aborted. One in four African-American children will never breathe the air of our world. Abortion is the leading cause of death by a wide margin than anything else in America. One of my professors in law school, I, I went to Babylon for law school, right? I mean, it was a pagan, liberal, I mean, just crazy place. And one of my professors was like an island of sanity in the midst of bizarreness. And his name was Michael Paulson. And I want to read you something he wrote. Listen to this. He says, it is almost too much to, to contemplate. Talking about abortion. The prospect that we are living in the midst of and accepting to various degrees one of the greatest human holocausts in history and we don't contemplate it. Instead, we look for ways to deny this grim reality, minimize it, or explain away our complacency or complicity. Abortion kills a living human being. 
what distinguishes abortion from, say, miscarriage is the specific intention to kill a living fetus. What was alive before has been deliberately killed. Roe creates a right for one class of human beings to kill other human beings. That's the truth. And people want to play political games with this. What about rape or incest? What about the health of the mother? Okay, let's talk about this. 1%. 1% of all abortions happen because of rape or incest. 6%. This is not, this is not pro-abortion me finding these. This is from the Guttmacher Institute, which is a, which is a I said pro I mean pro-life. Pro, pro the, the Guttmacher Institute, which is a pro-abortion uh, uh, institute that, that gathers this kind of data. 1% rape or incest, 6% because of the health problems of the mother or child. So this political bugaboo that everybody holds up and says, you know what? Yeah, but what about, what about, what about? 7% of the abortions that happen. A whopping 93% of all abortions occur for social reasons. You know what they are? Most often, they are the child is not wanted, the child is inconvenient. You hear this? Nearly 1 million babies are murdered on our watch every year because I just don't want to have a child right now. It's not convenient. Or my boyfriend forced me and said, I'll leave you if you don't have an abortion. Or my husband said, we're not having any more babies around here. Or my career comes first. That's what we're talking about. 93%. Now listen, you, you hear that? 60 million people? One in four African-Americans, one-sixth the American population. You hear these statistics? Now, now listen, if you let it, that will make you insane. And exactly where we are today, we are crazy. We retreat to a place of craziness and call it sane. So, so, so watch this. this. This woman, Mary Elizabeth Williams, in last year, she wrote this article I read this week called, So What If Abortion Ends a Life? Now, just, just stop right there and think of that title. Okay, the whole battlefield has a, used to be, that's not even a life. It doesn't count. No, no, she says, so what if it ends a life? And, and now, now listen to what she said. I'm actually throw it on the, on the screen so you can see it. So I know that throughout my own pregnancies, I never wavered for a moment in the belief that I was carrying a human life inside of me. I believe that's what a fetus is, a human life. And that doesn't make me one iota less solidly pro-choice. I know this is a baby. And a mother should have an unfettered right to murder it. Now, you know why she says that? Let's keep reading. All life is not equal. That's a difficult thing for liberals like me to talk about lest we end up looking like death panel loving kill your grandmother and precious baby stormtroopers. Yet a fetus can be a human life without having the same rights as the woman in whose body it resides. She's the boss. Her life and what is right for her circumstances and her health should automatically trump the rights of the non-autonomous entity inside of her, always. You cannot have it both ways, Mary Elizabeth. 
that is either a living human being or a non-autonomous entity. And I want to suggest to you, this is, this is crazy. Like, who talks like this? Who, who has that right? To say, I'm more valuable than you are. Like, this sounds like the justification for slave owners in the 19th century. This, this sounds like Nazi Germany. Like, Jews aren't human. Blacks aren't people. This sounds like, like store owners in the South in the 60s. You know, blacks should sit over there and whites over there. Don't even come into my restaurant. I, I have that right. You're, you're not quite one of us. I get to decide which human beings are valuable and whose rights trump other rights. Listen, this is not cutting off a finger. This is not cutting off an arm. This is ending a separate life. That baby inside of the woman has its own DNA. It has its own body. It has its own emotions. It has its own fingerprints. And by the way, none of us have a right to do what we want with our bodies. Like, that's just ludicrous. Let's all run home naked today. And you'll find out. I'm going to throw you in jail. You cannot do that with your body. Go try to prostitute yourself. They will throw you in jail. In fact, you know, if you attempt suicide today and fail, you'll go to jail. You cannot do anything you want with your body. We've never, never been like that. So now listen. I, I realize, I told you, th- 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 I, th- there's no great joy in my heart of like, I can't wait to preach on Sunday and wound people. Because statistically speaking, 43% of all women will have at least one abortion by the time they're 45 which means that there is a massive number of men and women in this room who have been impacted directly by abortion. And you've heard me say things like murder. That's a baby. It's killing. And this is why I started the way I did. This, this is why I want you to know and why I love I love the gospel so much because Jesus died for it all. And there is no sin, none, greater than the cross of Christ. And you've got to know that. I'm not up here being your judge and jury. I want you to know the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. But now let me, let me just say this. How should, this is the next question. Okay, what do we do, right? How should we respond? I mean, Chris, if this is true, under my watch, how should we respond? Because listen, everybody's gonna respond. 
right? Everybody in Nazi Germany responded. Everybody in the South during the civil rights movement responded. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who actually tried and failed in an attempted assassination on Hitler, was a pastor, a theologian. He was a pacifist. And he just was like, I'm sorry. And he has a famous quote where he said, basically, there comes a point where to not act is to, 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 to act, to not act is to act. To not speak is to speak. There comes a point when our failure to do anything is action. And our failure to speak speaks volumes. See, see, I think most of us do this, right? We look back on points in history. We look back on, on you know, uh, uh, World War II and Nazi Germany. And we, we look at the, the South during the times of segregation. And we look and we rightly hold up people who stood against the tide and said, no, this is morally evil what's happening here. And so we tell stories, we make movies, we erect statues to people like that. And I'm not suggesting that's a bad thing. We should remember people like that. That's why tomorrow we're going to celebrate Dr. King. He deserves to be remembered. But I have to wonder how many of us, how many of us if we lived in the South would have would have said anything? How many of us would have stood up to Nazi Germany? How many of us would have uh, joined our voices to abolitionists in the 19th century and said slavery is wrong? Because remember, it was perfectly legal. It was, it was socially acceptable. If you lived in the South, segregation, socially acceptable, perfectly legal. Would any of us? Because here's the thing. When it comes to this subject and it stares in the face, our actions say something different. Like, like we watch films. I've done this with my children. We watch films of the civil rights era or the Holocaust. And maybe you've done this. Or you go through a Holocaust museum and you pass through and your jaw drops to the ground and your kids are with you and they're saying things like, Daddy, how could this happen? How in the world, what were people think? This is insane, right? And the response is, it is, kids. It's totally insane. You know, I don't know my history. I, what did my great-great-grandpa do? Did my parents want to march with Dr. King? See, where were they in the fight? Were they even in the fight? See, here's the thing. I honestly believe that Rose days are numbered. I really do. I think science is going to keep showing to the point where Rose days are numbered. And I don't know if that's in my life Maybe it's my grandkids. Maybe it's their kids. I don't know. And I wonder what will, 
What will our kids say when they look back and now it's just common knowledge that abortion is murder? And they go, really? 60, 70, 80, not. Daddy, where were you? Grandpa, <laughs> I'm not going to be poopy or bumpy or whatever. Grandpa, <laughs> where were you? W- were you in the fight? Or did you bury your head in the sand and act like it wasn't there? So what do we do? Let me give you four things real quick. Number one, we repent. Just flat out repent. Some of us need to repent. Some of you have been actually involved in abortion. And and I've told you, there's forgiveness. And you repent and you run to Jesus. But listen, there's a whole other crop of people that would say, you know what I need to repent of? Of acting like this thing didn't exist. Of in under my watch, 40 million 50 million, 60 million human beings being snuffed out and me not even caring. That, that should break our hearts and we should repent. Number two, we should pray. Like just look, you understand, this is a, this is a spiritual issue. Because, because when Mary Elizabeth Williams can say the things she says, Mary Elizabeth Williams is not dumb. But evil is irrational. It's flat out irrational. And the only thing that overcomes that kind of irrationality is the grace of God. And so we need God's help. That's why we're going to gather on Wednesday. We're going to pray. We're literally going to pray about this. We're going to pray against that evil. We're going to pray that on our watch someday this is eradicated. It's gone. That would be glorious. This is a scourge. Number three, we should vote. Now, some of you are like, no, you didn't just say that. Let me explain this. So, Chris, are you a one-issue voter? Yes. So the guy could be a complete moron and pro-life. Okay, well, that's a straw man that you want to stick up and knock down. What if we had an awesome, awesome candidate that we could all agree upon was just, this is, this is the man of the hour and, or woman of the hour, whatever. And we're all excited about this person. And, and then suddenly one day they stand up and say, you know, I think you all ought to know that I think blacks are lesser than whites. We would freak out. And rightly so, and say, that, my friend, disqualifies you from office. I'm not saying there's not other important issues. I've racked my brain to try to think, what could possibly be more important than 60 million human lives? Some of you are one-issue voters. And your issue is, will my benefits stay the same? 
Will the government continue to pay me out? Will I get free health care? Whatever. We're all one-issue voters. You know we could eradicate? We could eradicate abortion in five years. We just don't. And you know how you do it? Just vote for people that say, this is over. We're no way. This is not going one step further on my watch. But November will roll around and you watch. We won't do it. We just won't. You should vote. This ought to inform how you vote. That is not a Republican, Democrat, Independent, Tea Party, Purple Party. I could care less what party you're part of. This is a this is a humanity issue. And then finally, we should just get involved. Like, like, add your voice. You know, they said that during the Nazi era, there was this thing they called the spiral of silence, where what happened is, you know, somebody would say something that, you know, kind of put down somebody else, and so you didn't want to speak up because you'd feel like you were on the outsider, and so you'd fail to speak up, and everybody else would kind of be shy. Well, nobody's talking about it, so I can't talk about it, and we kept going, kept going, until finally, Nazi Germany had taken over, and the spiral of silence had won. Churches wouldn't stand up. People wouldn't stand up. Nobody would stand up and say, that guy's a madman. But it works in reverse. We speak up. I speak up. And if I speak courageously, then maybe you'll speak courageously. Ryan will go back to his class and he'll speak courageously. And maybe some of his students will speak courageously. And then you'll go out and you'll speak courageously. And together we'll whip up from a spiral of silence to a spiral of a voice that can be heard. You can give. You can walk right out to Lori today and say, what do you need? I'm going to write you a big, fat, juicy check right now. And you should. You can serve. You know what else you can do? You can go, I'm going to adopt a child. I'm going to foster a child. I'm going to open my home to a pregnant woman, to a family that's struggling because they they didn't see this child coming in. They don't know how they're going to take care of it. And I'm going to help you get back on your feet. April Pope is... And Bob Pope are two of our missionaries from Foothill Church that are now full-time down in Mexico. I'm probably going to get her, her story a little bit wrong here, but it's absolutely amazing what she told me. She, when, when, back in the 70s, okay, so this is, this is long ago and far away in a different galaxy, right? I mean, this is, this is things were very different. And she heard about a girl who was going to have an abortion that day. She went to her and said, please don't, please. And the baby was very far along, that, that, that woman gave birth. April said, I'll take it. She ran up to Sacramento, drove her car that afternoon, ran up to Sacramento, and in those days, apparently, she was able to actually get cleared for all the adoption stuff she needed. She brought that ha- baby home. She raised that baby. There's all kinds of ways you can get involved. And listen, this isn't a sprint. This isn't like, hey, let's all get excited. And then you gas out in two weeks. You, know, you go tell Lori, hey, I'll f- oh yeah, whoo, I got to do something because Pastor Chris, right? I mean, you go and then in two weeks, she's trying to get you on the phone and I can't find you because you got all excited. And that, this is a marathon. This is us going to the end. And people aren't going to like you. People are going to look at you weird. They're going to maybe call you names. 
You know what I want? I, I, I want to be less concerned about them. And I want to be more concerned about the one voice that goes, well done. Well done. See, I, I, I want my, <laughs> my grandkids to crawl on my lap someday. And when they say, Grandpa, what'd you do? I can say, man, we worked, we prayed, we fought. We did everything we could to bring this monster. To its knees. We were in the fight. I pray God will give us the courage and the compassion to enter and win the fight. Let's pray.